Chapter 6, Part 1 of The Quest of the Historical Jesus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Quest of the Historical Jesus by Albert Schweitzer. Translated by William Montgomery. Chapter 6, Part 1 The Last Phase of Rationalism, Haza and Schleiermacher. Bibliography. Karl August Hase, The Life of Jesus Primarily for the Use of Students, 1829, 205 pages. This work contains a bibliography of the earliest literature of the subject, 5th edition, 1865. Friedrich Ernst Daniel Schleiermacher, Das Leben Jesu, 1864, edited by Rutenick. The edition is based upon a student's notebook of a course of lectures delivered in 1832. David Friedrich Strauss, The Christ of Faith and the Jesus of History, a criticism of Schleiermacher's Life of Jesus, 1865. In their treatment of the life of Jesus, Hase and Schleiermacher are in one respect still wholly dominated by rationalism. They still cling to the rationalistic explanation of miracle, although they have no longer the same ingenious confidence in it as their predecessors, and although, at the decisive cases, they are content to leave a question mark instead of offering a solution. They might, in fact, be described as the skeptics of rationalism. In another respect, however, they aim at something beyond the range of rationalism, inasmuch as they endeavor to grasp the inner connection of the events of Jesus' ministry, which in Paulus had entirely fallen out of sight. Their lives of Jesus are transitional in the good sense of the word as well as in the bad. In respect of progress, Haza shows himself the greater of the two. Scarcely thirteen years have elapsed since the death of the great Jena professor, His Excellency von Haza, and already we think of him as a man of the past. Theology has voted to inscribe his name upon its records in letters of gold, and has passed on to the order of the day. He was no pioneer like Bauer, and he does not meet the present age on the footing of a contemporary, offering its problems raised by him and still unsolved. Even his church history, with its twelve editions, has already had its day, although it is still the most brilliantly written work in this department, and conceals beneath its elegance of form a massive erudition. He was more than a theologian. He was one of the finest monuments of German culture, the living embodiment of a period which, for us, lies under the sunset glow of the past, in the land of once upon a time. His path in life was unembarrassed. He knew toil, but not disappointment. Born in 1800, he finished his studies at Tübingen, where he qualified as a privet docent in 1823. In 1824 through 1825, he spent eleven months in the fortress of Hohenesburg, where he was confined for taking the part of the Burschenschaften, and had leisure for meditation and literary plans. In 1830, he went to Jena, where, with a yearly visit to Italy to lay in a store of sunshine and renewed strength, he worked until 1890. Not without a certain reverence does one take this little textbook of 200 pages into one's hands. 
This is the first attempt by a fully equipped scholar to reconstruct the life of Jesus on a purely historical basis. There is more creative power in it than in almost any of his later works. It manifests already the brilliant qualities of style for which he was distinguished, clearness, terseness, elegance. What a contrast with that of Bart, Venturini, or Paulus. And yet, the keynote of the work is rationalistic, since Haza has recourse to the rationalistic explanation of miracles wherever that appears possible. He seeks to make the circumstances of the baptism intelligible by supposing the appearance of a meteor. In the story of the transfiguration, the fact which is to be retained is that Jesus, in the company of two unknown persons, appeared to the disciples in unaccustomed splendor. Their identification of his companions as Moses and Elias is a conclusion which is not confirmed by Jesus, and owing to the position of the eyewitnesses, is not sufficiently guaranteed by their testimony. The abrupt breaking off of the interview by the master and the injunction of silence point to some secret circumstance in his history. By this hint, Haza seems to leave room for the secret society of Bart and Venturini. He makes no difficulty about the explanation of the story of the stature. It is only intended to show, quote, how the Messiah avoided offense in submitting himself to the financial burdens of the community. In regard to the stilling of the storm, it seems uncertain whether Jesus, through his knowledge of nature, was enabled to predict the end of the storm, or whether he brought it about by the possession of power over nature. The skeptic of rationalism thus leaves open the possibility of miracle. He proceeds somewhat similarly in explaining the raisings from the dead. They can be made intelligible by supposing that they were cases of coma, but it is also possible to look upon them as supernatural. For the two great Johannine miracles, the change of the water into wine and the increase of the loaves, no naturalistic explanation can be admitted. But how unsuccessful is his attempt to make the increase of the bread intelligible? He asks, quote, Why should not the bread have been increased? If nature every year in the period between seed time and harvest performs a similar miracle, nature might also, by unknown laws, bring it about in a moment. Close quote. Here crops up the dangerous anti rationalistic intellectual supernaturalism which sometimes brings Haza and Schleiermacher very close to the frontiers of the territory occupied by the disingenuous reactionaries. The crucial point is the explanation of the resurrection of Jesus. A stringent proof that death had actually taken place cannot, according to Haza, be given, since there is no evidence that corruption had set in, and that is the only infallible sign of death. It is possible, therefore, that the resurrection was only a return to consciousness after a trance. But the direct impression made by the sources points rather to a supernatural event. Either view is compatible with the Christian faith. Quote, Both the historically possible views, either that the Creator gave new life to a body which was really dead, or 
that the latent life reawakened in a body which was only seemingly dead recognize in the resurrection a manifest proof of the care of providence for the cause of jesus and are therefore both to be recognized as christian whereas a third view that jesus gave himself up to his enemies in order to defeat them by the bold stroke of a seeming death and a skillfully prepared resurrection is as contrary to historical criticism as to christian faith haza however quietly lightens the difficulty of the miracle question in a way which must not be overlooked for the rationalists all miracles stood on the same footing and all must equally be abolished by a naturalistic explanation if we study haza carefully we find that he accepts only the johannine miracles as authentic whereas those of the synoptists may be regarded as resting upon a misunderstanding on the part of the authors because they are not reported at first hand but from tradition thus the discrimination of the two lines of gospel tradition comes to the aid of the anti-rationalists and enables them to get rid of some of the greatest difficulties half playfully it might almost be said they sketch out the ideas of strauss without ever suspecting what desperate earnest the game will become if the authenticity of the fourth gospel has to be given up haza surrenders the birth story and the legends of the childhood the expression is his own almost without striking a blow the same fate befalls all the incidents in which angels figure and the miracles at the time of the death of jesus he describes these as mythical touches the ascension is merely quote, a mythical version of his departure to the father haza's conception even of the non-miraculous portion of the history of jesus is not free from rationalistic traits he indulges in the following speculations with regard to the celibacy of the lord quote, if the true grounds of the celibacy of jesus do not lie hidden in the special circumstances of his youth the conjecture may be permitted that he from whose religion was to go forth the ideal view of marriage so foreign to the ideas of antiquity found in his own time no heart worthy to enter into this covenant with him it is on rationalistic lines also that haza explains the betrayal by judas quote, a purely intellectual worldly and unscrupulous character he desired to compel the hesitating messiah to found his kingdom upon popular violence it is possible that judas in his terrible blindness took the last word addressed to him by jesus what thou doest do quickly as giving consent to his plan but haza again rises superior to this rationalistic conception of the history when he refuses to explain away the jewish elements in the plan and preaching of jesus as due to mere accommodation and maintains the view that the lord really to a certain extent shared this jewish system of ideas according to haza there are two periods in the messianic activity of jesus in the first he accepted almost without reservation the popular ideas regarding the messianic age in consequence however of his experience of the practical results of these ideas he was led to abandon this error and in the second period 
he developed his own distinctive views. Here we meet, for the first time, the idea of two different periods of the life of Jesus, which, especially through the influence of Holtzmann and Keim, became the prevailing view, and down to Johannes Weiss determined the plan of all lives of Jesus. Haza created the modern historico-psychological picture of Jesus. The introduction of this more penetrating psychology would alone suffice to place him in advance of the rationalists. Another interesting point is the thorough way in which he traces out the historical and literary consequences of this idea of development. The apostles, he thinks, did not understand this progress of thought on the part of Jesus, and did not distinguish between the sayings of the first and second periods. They remained wedded to the eschatological view. After the death of Jesus, this view prevailed so strongly in the primitive community of disciples that they interpolated their expectations into the last discourses of Jesus. According to Haza, the apocalyptic discourse in Matthew chapter 24 was originally only a prediction of the judgment upon and destruction of Jerusalem, but this was obscured later by the influx of the eschatological views of the apostolic community. Only John remained free from this error. Therefore, the non-eschatological fourth gospel preserves in their pure form the ideas of Jesus in his second period. Haza rightly observes that the messiahship of Jesus plays next to no part in his preaching, at any rate at first, and that, before the incident at Caesarea Philippi, it was only in moments of enthusiastic admiration, rather than with settled conviction, that even the disciples looked on him as the Messiah. This indication of the central importance of the declaration of the Messiahship at Caesarea Philippi is another signpost pointing out the direction which the future study of the life of Jesus was to follow. End of chapter 6, part 1